Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Off of the Couch podcast. Maggie here. Today's episode is an interview by Barry from improvingbarry.com of me. Little bonus episode. I do need to make a correction. I said 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight for the amount of protein when I was talking to Barry, but it's actually 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. And I did get mixed up being American on the uh, the pounds and kilograms, but I do explain uh, how much and quantity and grams for body weight a little better further in the episode. So I apologize for that. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Improving Barry podcast, where I, Barry, interview experts in health and wellness. And this week, I'm speaking with Maggie Stewart, who is a fitness coach and also the host of the Off of the Couch podcast. This was a nice leisurely talk where we talked about nutrition, the evolution of nutrition over decades. Uh, We spoke a bit about cholesterol, Uh, about losing weight, calories, lots of things like that. It was a nice, loose, leisurely chat with somebody that has lots and lots of experience helping people out in fitness and in health. So I hope you get some value out of this. Now, if you like this type of podcast, please share it with your friends and family and also sign up for the newsletter at improvingberry.com. Also on improvingberry.com, you can find transcripts of all of the podcast episodes for free of course so check it out and without further ado here is maggie stewart welcome and thank you very much for being on the podcast well thank you barry thanks so much for having me so let's start with your story maybe so how did you get interested in health and fitness and kind of what is your your health journey story there up till now? Yeah, I think my health journey was not as difficult as yours, but um, <laughs> growing up, I did have some allergies, though. So I think because of that, I was always on the lookout for things that might help me improve that. It was always just a little bit of an um, annoyance, really. But when I, I loved um, doing things outdoors and when I went to college, I decided to go into forestry and I took a job when I graduated with the forest service out in California. And this was in the late seventies. So it really hadn't been that long that women had, um, had kind of equal jobs in the forest service, um, probably only for five or 10 years before I joined. Before that, they were just like secretaries and stuff. So so this was in the age of affirmative action. So I kind of felt pressured to, you know, put on a good show, right? Because it was mostly male and some of them 
were a little resentful, actually, of, you know, women getting these jobs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I thought I had to put up a good showing. And we were used um, occasionally as extra firefighters if you wanted to do that. And to do that, you had to pass a little physical test uh, to make sure you weren't going to have a heart attack out on the, yeah, the yeah. fire line. And so there was kind of a fitness culture. And I really enjoyed that. I liked being outside, being active, um, trying to keep in shape so I could go on these forest fires and make a little extra money. And I thought it was very cool being a young adult. Just out of so, interest, were there as, as many forest fires back then than, than there are now in California? Or did it change now? You know, um, they are much bigger now mm. and much more right. dangerous, I would say. I think with climate change, I think there's a lot more drive fuel now and they're a lot more bigger, a lot more bigger, a lot bigger. And, yeah. um, yeah, they were quite a bit smaller back then. And you could, we would build these like three foot fire lines and that would hold the fire where now they're oh, jumping wow. across yeah. like roads and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, rivers yeah. and stuff. So no, they were not as large. The ones that I went on and, um, yeah, I think climate change has, it made them um, more difficult to fight, obviously. So, okay, but it, so it a, did. A there was a fitness culture. culture. Yeah. yeah, we were supposed to be able to do a certain number of push-ups, and mm. um, and I was not in the fire department. But one year, my um, the funding kind of ran out in my department, and so I took a seasonal job on a small f uh, fire engine. And that had a requirement. You were supposed to be able to do seven pull-ups. And mm. so I accepted the job and I went to the gym to see how many I could do. And it was zero. <laughs> <laughs> so I started by lowering myself down and I gradually worked up. By the time I got to the job, I could do four. And I eventually worked up to seven, but I didn't really keep it up. So... But when I uh, got out of the Forest Service, or I, I moved back to the East Coast, and I got into other work. Um, but then in uh, 1999, I decided I would become a personal trainer. I had kids by then, and I wanted something kind of flexible that I could work around their schedules. And I um, took what was then... Um, uh, it was kind of a course by mail, and you had to send in your uh, your test by, like, at all. We had to run a video camera. You know, nobody had cell phones yet or, or uh, <laughs> digital. So, so I became a fitness trainer, but because I didn't have a lot of hands-on experience, I volunteered at the YMCA, which, do you, are you familiar with the Y, the YMCA? Uh, it's like, uh, is it like a... A community center kind of thing? Yeah. It's a community right. center with usually a pool and fitness center and mm. a lot of family activities and that kind of thing. So um, so I volunteered in their fitness department and they taught me to um, give orientations on the Nautilus equipment. And, and I had to take a couple of their classes and then I would teach new members how to use the strength training equipment. So... That gave me a little hands-on experience, and I um, that was when Nautilus was very popular. Well, I think it came along in like the late '70s and started to spread, but um, but then it was very popular, and 
They also did like some cardiac rehab when people had heart attacks. They would come in and get, you know, do a weight training program a couple times a week and also some work on the cardio equipment. And it was very specified, you know, do this many minutes, uh, do it this way. So I was pretty ingrained in that. Okay. And then um, I was working independently as a personal trainer and I started to have some problems with asthma. So I needed to let my um, independent work go and get a job that had health insurance. Um, It's kind of important to be able to breathe. And I didn't have any medical coverage. (laughs) So I took a job in uh, human services and I did that for like 13 years. And the, um, the first job I had with them for the first couple of years was working with a morbidly obese woman who uh, had an eating disorder and she had some mental health issues and a mild developmental disability. And um, they had been really stumped in how to help her because she w- she had a binge eating disorder and she could barely get around. And I was able to, along with uh, the eating disorder center that we used, that she started to attend, I was able to help her lose enough weight to get comfortably around and get back out in the community. And, you know, we just set up her meals and, and instead of her, like just opening the cabinet and deciding what she wanted to eat, we had a night's plan and set it up. And so she was able to lose with me about 60 pounds. And that was enough to help her really get around and, um, get back involved with her community. So then I got promoted to being a case manager. And I did that for 11 years where I took a lot of people to doctor's appointments and made sure they had the services they needed. And then after that, I went back. I decided I really wanted to pursue the fitness thing again. And now I'm back working at the YMCA. So <laughs> okay. in full circle. Yeah, so full circle. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you've seen many, many clients uh, during all those years, I can imagine, with all sorts of things, including, uh, like you said, the, the case with the woman with obesity uh, and probably related complaints as well and symptoms uh, and things to solve yes. with that. Yes, and actually, I, I was going to say, I thought that she had asthma when I worked with her because she had, you know, um, inhalers and oxygen and this and and after i'd been working with her for probably about a year and went to one of her doctor's appointments her doctor said no she had she had actually had lung failure from her obesity like wow no one really even expected her to live because she was just so heavy she was only she wasn't even um five feet tall and she was like 400 pounds and she had a difficulty walking around her apartment when I started, but because she lost the weight, I believe she's still (laughs) in the community today. So, um, you know, and she certainly had some ups and downs uh, since I left, but um, yeah, they didn't even expect her to live in, you know, a lot longer because she was just so heavy. That's such a big win. So, uh, yeah. What was your approach back then? You already alluded to you created a meal plan. What what else were you doing to to get her to lose the weight? Okay, we yeah we were given guidelines by the eating disorder center that were basically how many servings of 
protein, carbohydrate, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing for each meal. And she was allowed to have snacks. So this was kind of in the days where everything was low fat. But because we had, and it was really by the my plate, which uh, a lot of people don't like the my plate, but you can actually use it to be pretty successful if use it well, depending on the person and if they have any specific sensitivities. So she would just have a meal at breakfast and then she would have a small snack. Um, and then we, so we tried to make sure she had a, a good serving of protein and then we kept her carbohydrates were pretty low. Um, so she could actually have like two pieces of bread, but they were this like really thin sliced, low calorie bread. <laughs> so it was really one right. serving, you know, one serving of protein, one serving, and then she could have like a fruits or vegetables. And then, um, and her snacks were pretty low calorie. And then, um, so for supper, she would have a protein, a carb and two vegetables. Cause she really liked to feel full. So she could have a pretty full plate of stuff. And everything was like the low-fat butter in those days, but um, which I wouldn't use now, like the butter spray. And they, she was allowed to have uh, the sugar-free ice cream. She was, you know, um, ice cream was probably her favorite food. So she was allowed to have that for dessert, but it was sugar-free. So, right. Um, but I think just having those nutritious meals set out knowing that there would be, you know, um, a nice filling meal and she could have that little snack. Um, it just, I think when someone has a binge eating disorder, they tend to try to skip meals and then they're ravenous and then they just go overboard, you know? So it, it was able to sort of calm her fears of, um, not having enough to eat and feeling pretty full pretty regularly and she was able to follow it pretty well right yeah so like a relatively small intervention where you made sure that she has a nutritious meal prioritize the protein in there so that she's actually full and then doesn't binge eat and that's enough for her to then make those small steps to you know lose some weight yeah. and being able to move again and from there you can you know start to to heal and get better a small step i like that yeah from there and and now looking now at your clients if you now have somebody with obesity for instance what would your approach now be and how has that changed over the years uh well i don't encourage the snack and uh i th- it hasn't changed a tremendous amount i encourage people to use real butter not the fake butter spread and um and not knack, you know, but to eat enough um, protein. And I, and most people, most women, I think, do well on three meals. Um, two is okay, but it is a little harder to get the amount of protein that I think we need. And, and I also really encourage strength training. And uh, so I really like kind of the trifecta of um good nutrition, cardio, and strength training. That's right. If you can get somebody to do all three, I think that's the best. And um, yeah, so it's no snacking, um, but still getting in good servings of protein, um, a, a lower amount of carbohydrates than, you know, 
she would have like a snack of like rice cakes or something. So I would skip that. I still eat some carbs at supper time. I mean, I still kind of follow that, but I tend to not eat them usually at lunch or breakfast. Occasionally I do, but um, just making sure people do get enough protein, enough healthy fat. Healthy fat, I think, is really important where in those days we were eating like zero <laughs> that was a mistake and also the uh the i've learned a lot more about seed oils you know that mm. I, we didn't know then then we thought it was great to mix your butter with some canola oil to make it spread better and now i just eat the butter and have thrown out the canola oil so right yeah <laughs> so a lot of learnings there um with yeah. your clients now, do you uh, also restrict calories or do you just look at the quality of their food? The quality of food. I don't, I don't personally like tracking calories. I, that's what I did like about the MyPlate. I know it's um, a lot of people aren't big fans of the MyPlate, but I like that, to, that you can just eyeball the amount. You know, I don't think your meals should be a math problem you know i think it is good to figure out how much protein you need um some of us are under eating it especially i think women and when you're doing strength training you want to have enough to build muscle and build bone and support your joints with good nutrition but i think it's good to figure out how much you might need in a day but not at every meal i'm not a tracker personally i mean some people love to do that and it works for them that's great but i don't really encourage people to um count their calories certainly right and you've been talking about protein a couple times here uh, and that we need to uh, optimize that as well so how much protein do we actually need and is that different for men and women yeah, it's different based on body weight and body size. So, mm. so generally, you know, a, a larger man would need more. So, um, and there's a equation, and I believe it's, I believe it's point. I don't want to get it wrong. I think it's point eight grams per kilogram of body weight something like that so it's it is more than the rda which i think is maybe 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight does that sound right and so the amount we need and i got that from doing my podcast i got to interview some of the experts and that would be uh dr stuart phillips and dr wayne westcott um who have done a lot of research into how much protein so for someone my size it would be about a hundred grams a day and I'm about 150 pounds. So, um, uh, so that would be, you know, like 30 to 35 grams per meal. And I have heard some people say that you, that's like kind of a minimum amount that your body needs. I mean, I think all this research may, you know, it could, could change. I mean, it's not set a gold, I think, but what they think at the, this time is that you should get a minimum, I think of 30 grams per meal. And then if someone's like a larger man that's eating maybe two meals a day, so they might need more like 60 grams at each meal, which is a pretty good size piece of protein. <laughs> so is that about, is that what, you, are you doing one meal a day? I can't remember what you were. Um, it, 
it totally depends. So uh, currently, I've like this week, I've been doing like uh, three meals a day, also breakfast. You know, I just okay. when I'm hungry, I'm yeah. I'm gonna eat breakfast. I'm not gonna skip it because yeah. you know I feel like oh I I wanna do some fasting. I'm thin enough as it is, so <laughs> I'm gonna not right, skip okay, breakfast. Yeah. But yeah, with the protein yeah. thing, you know, I've heard very different ranges, like from uh, 0.6 uh, grams per kilogram of lean body mass to 0.8 to even two as well, two grams uh, per kilogram of uh, body weight. I think that totally mm. depends on, like you say, who you are, uh, what you're doing as well. If you are doing lots of strength training and you want to build muscle, uh, but also uh, if you're aging, as in, if you are older, you need more protein as well to support your muscles, uh, to not waste away in the first place, and then perhaps to maintain them and maybe build more if you are doing strength training there. Uh, so perhaps more than a gram is probably uh, advisable, but I think it might be difficult for people to get that into their diet. Uh, you know, they need to plan Yeah, it well. that's a lot. And, it, and I think most seniors are not getting even near that much if they're in some kind of a you know residential program i think they're really not eating much protein at breakfast and they're no. probably having a like a sandwich at lunch with you know a little thin slice of you know meat and cheese maybe or um and yeah i think we're carb heavy for breakfast and lunch in america and um not getting nearly enough protein to support muscle you know yeah, and also uh, satiety. So that's in, in America, and I would say, right. you know, it's just a Western standard diet. So here in the Netherlands, it's kind of the same. People start their day with uh, bread, uh, mm -hmm. with, uh, with juice. So it's all carbs and sugars and no yeah. protein. Maybe an egg here or there, but it's usually pancakes with maybe some syrup on it. Yeah. So you start your day with a huge <laughs> glucose spike, and then an hour later right. you're hungry because you're, you're crashing. Right. Uh, and you have no protein in your body. You're just you're just hungry. Right. That's a very bad start of the day. That's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, we uh, we tend to. Uh, I think most Americans eat boxed cereal for breakfast. Like it's quick. You go to the grocery store. There's an entire aisle yeah. of all different kinds of cereal, and I think that's what probably the majority of Americans are still eating for breakfast. And it really has very little nutritional value. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, the milk has some, but yeah. a lot of them are putting skim milk on it. And, um, and there's, there's so much added sugar too. you know, even the low sugar ones have like two or three different kinds of sugar in them. They're really, they're really very poor quality. And it's just such a, an American thing that, um, I think, I don't know when it started. I, well, you probably know about the history of Kellogg's and, um, that, but I, you know, I grew up in the sixties and cereal was pretty much everybody's breakfast, except for maybe on like Saturdays, you know, you might have eggs or pancakes <laughs> with artificially flavored, uh, corn syrup. Yeah. With a little bit of maple in it. So, right. I live in new England. At least we have real maple syrup up here, but, um, <laughs> it's kind of expensive. So. A lot of the, all the residential places still use the artificially flavored corn syrup. <laughs> oh, jeez! Even in New England. <laughs> wow. So, throughout the decades where you first started, uh, 
with uh, fitness coaching and now you still do that mm. or again do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you seen yeah. uh, a big difference in the clients that you get? As in, you know, sometimes we see these pictures uh, online of people in the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s and they were all slim and not obese and they looked very happy and such. And now we see pictures of uh, huge obese people that are all miserable. Yeah. Do you notice a difference in there as well? Yeah, very much. Um, very much. I mean, um, when I was growing up, obesity was pretty rare. You know, there might have been one or two kids in the school class that were overweight. And mm. most of my friends, I think back and I can't think of anyone that had an overweight parent, you know. You know, the women, um, when they got a little older, maybe put on, you know, 10 or 15 pounds or 20 pounds. But none of my friends had a, parents that were obese, you know. And now yeah. today obesity is very common. Isn't it yeah. scheduled to be like 50%, something like that? It's yeah, very, I think it's even, uh, even it's a, over, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a big change in that and and. uh I think it was just gradual, but uh, certainly, like, I think in the 90s, it just started really kind of escalating. And I'm sure there's a variety of, um, some people blame the seed oil, some people blame sugar, but I do see a big increase in uh, the drinking of soda from when I was a kid. Like, um, when I was a child, like, soda started to become popular, but you would buy like a case of it. It was in glass bottles and you'd buy like a, my dad would buy a case at the gas station. Like it wasn't in the supermarket. You know, there were no yeah. like two liter bottles in the supermarket. So that was sort of a real gradual change that it went from being an occasional treat, like on a Saturday afternoon or something to something that you drank with meals. Nobody really drank it with meals unless maybe they were going to a restaurant and it was some, special occasion and I, and I guess the rise of fast food probably had a lot to do with that that you know you get your burger fries and a coke <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. where we all grew up drinking milk you know the kids always had to drink milk and then um and then adults drank milk or water you know with their meals and then coffee like there was no soda at meals yeah, I think that's probably uh, a big contributor as well. Uh, so yes, big companies yeah. like uh, the McDonald's and uh, things like that. You go get your burger, you get your 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 Coke with that as well. And uh, also right. here in the Netherlands, you see kids now. You know they they are on their bicycle at least, or they are moving. But you know they are holding, like you say, a two liter bottle of Coke, and that's what they wow. drink all day. <laughs> so you wow. know that's. That's quite wow. a lot of calories and it's fructose and that's like your yeah. background noise of, uh, of calories and disturbance there going on into your body. That's, that's not good. That's a very, very bad no. trend. Yeah. So. Right. And, and when I was a teenager, we would go to the beach, you know, and it's just like those photos that you've been probably been seeing, uh, shared online, yeah. like people were not heavy. Um, it was. It was a rarity and now yeah it's not a rarity at all most people at the beach now are heavy you know 
Yeah, it's really terrible. And, you know, it's not the fault of the people. So it's the, it's, uh, it's the environment's fault, right? And like you said as well, it could be, it's probably lots of things. So it's probably seed oils. It's probably lots it's of sugar, things. It's sugar. It's, you know, distractions by mobile phones and being more sedentary because we're all watching Netflix and, and television and uh, internet, uh, things like that. It's probably, you know, all of those things yeah, combined. Yeah, and TV now. has those, it, TV has those food commercials, you know, like uh, also, come out yeah. to Burger King and Applebee's and they're showing all this delicious, cheesy, whatever. <laughs> Top yeah, it off with a big soda or a drink. It's insidious, I think, because it's not only just the actual commercials to lure you there, but also if you're just watching some series or on television or on Netflix or something, and you see some people and they're doing something in the morning, they start out with a healthy American breakfast of pancakes and syrup and some juice. <laughs> so that's normal. That's what the people do on television. So why wouldn't you do that, right? And then, you know, you drink some right. alcohol, you drink some Coke and product placement. So it's throughout the culture. It's, it's pretty insidious. It's terrible. But it's good for business for you, right? <laughs> Uh, I would prefer to have no business and to have everybody healthy and, and, uh, right. so, yeah. So you are also now a primal health coach. Is that correct? What is that? Exactly? Yes, I am. During the pandemic, I, well, actually before the pandemic, I decided to sign up to, um, take this course that Mark Sisson had come up with um mm. and my fitness certification right now is through ace american council on exercise and they offered a much less expensive health coaching certification but i think some of their sponsoring is um from the food industry i I'm, i get the impression because they okay. teach the low calorie you know fat free all that stuff yeah. and um and just um, I usually don't, I'm usually very frugal, so I wouldn't normally spend a lot more <laughs> if, I, if I could do it the less expensive way. But for some reason, this health coaching course just really, uh, attracted me. And I, I did the call and, uh, talked to the, the, uh, woman that was, you know, had information about it and that helped sign people up. And, uh, I just resonated with me. So it's um because i thought i wanted to work at home and have more of an internet business and i thought being a health coach would be a good a good thing to have and this one is more based on ancestral principles of real food and movement and you know and if you look back at the uh our ancestors did not eat box cereal and little <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're out hunting down food and not to say that, you know, I try to get my clients to go out hunting, but yeah. just to look, you know, obviously the information we've been given is incorrect, right? That yeah. um, we are made to eat meat and eggs and probably seafood and natural whole foods that we're really not, we shouldn't be having little packets of, you know, candies and processed cookies and um, so that the, the ACE, uh, health coaching was very much, um, incorporating all the processed foods and 
low fat and low calorie, where Mark Sisson's and uh, primal health coaching was about looking at how human beings should really be eating and moving in. I just really found it very interesting. And I'm actually taking the, they have a new course in fitness and I don't really need another certification, but um, it was put together by Mark Sisson and his um, assistant, I believe, uh, Brad Kearns, who's a former triathlete and uh, um, now in his 50s, but he's been an athlete pretty much his whole life. And and they really did a good job on um, all, all kinds of interesting stuff about fitness, stretching and mobility and um, what, you know, chronic cardio versus strength training. And so I'm, I'm in the middle of that course now because I just wanted to expand um, on what I'm offering. And um, during the pandemic, I thought I wanted to do health coaching over the internet was kind of my motivation for getting a health coach yeah. certificate. But I really like actually getting out of the real people in person. So that's why I'm really happy to be working at the Y and I'm not doing as much um, online coaching as I thought I would. Now, who knows what the future will bring and hopefully we won't have another pandemic and be stuck in our thick. You never know. Right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Let's yeah. see. Uh, let's see what they come up with next. <laughs> right. But, who uh, knows? So that's, it's a very interesting, uh, coaching program that you that you mentioned there uh, yes. so i know mark sisson as well of course uh, lots of people uh, probably the listeners also uh, maybe know him uh, maybe not if you're a bit younger because you know he's a bit older and back in the day he had these uh, books as well uh, back in the day i say it's not that long ago <laughs> he, ha he has great right. books you could definitely uh, look him up i'll link to some of them in the show notes uh Great. But yes, like you say, he talks about uh, what human beings should be eating, how they should be moving, what they should be doing, like getting into the sun, things like that. Uh, and when he talks yeah. about nutrition, he talks about, like you say, uh, meat, eggs, fish, things like that as well. Uh, so high protein, low carb, high fat as well. When you talk about things like that, cholesterol comes to mind for me always, uh, you know, because we've been taught. If you eat a lot of fat, then, you know, your arteries clog up and then you'll die of a heart attack, right? That's how it works because your right. LDL we thought if we put and it's bad. fat in our mouth, it went directly into our, our veins, <laughs> but right. it doesn't actually work that way, does it? <laughs> so what's your views on that? So let's say somebody is uh, completely uh, carnivore or animal-based and they eat lots and lots of eggs and steaks and burgers and things like that. Lots of saturated fat as well. Are they going to die of a heart attack or are they going to be fine? Well, my feeling right now is that they're going to be fine. Um, I do not believe that eating the fat goes into your blood vessels. I believe that it's like, you know, processed through your system, gives you nice steady energy. I think we were, I think it was really damaging to be doing that low fat, non-fat stuff. And I was probably one of the mm -hmm. first people to jump on that bandwagon. I read the book by... Nathan Pritikin that had you only eat 10% fat and I cut out a lot of fat and I, I, um, 
think that was terrible. I think, you know, our hormones need fat. Um, it's good for our hair, skin, uh, nervous system. I think it's really important in our nervous system. I think a lot of our nervous system needs fat and cholesterol to be healthy in our immune system. So I don't, I think they'll be better off than if they were fat free or, and especially than if they're eating like, um, I can't believe it's not butter and the little spray, butter spray, <laughs> all the fake foods that we thought were an improvement, the snack well cookies that were low fat. Um, yeah. but you know, it's, Still, we're still at a time where we haven't um, got it 100% figured out. And there's, you know, a lot of controversy, obviously. If you go to a doctor, they'll put you on a statin drug if you have high cholesterol. I'm not sure that is something I wouldn't want to personally take. I'm concerned about their side effects and that maybe that the wrong road, but I'm uh, not a molecular biologist or a, you know, cardiologist. And so, um, it, it's difficult for me when I get somebody that's on a bunch of those medications, cause I would love to tell them to throw them, <laughs> but that would not be, you know, that's beyond my scope. And, and, um, it just concerns me because I think the medical profession has not maybe caught up to the more recent information, but I think it's still, um, stuff that we don't know a hundred percent for sure. So, yeah, I, yeah, I also find it very difficult. Obviously, uh, when you go to a doctor, they say, well, uh, if your LDL is high, you need to go on a statin, uh, because, right. you know, we, we like to sell statins in the first place, but also that's the only, uh, like, uh, studies that we have. So we have epidemiology studies that say high LDL, you'll, you'll drop that of a heart attack. Uh, doesn't say much, uh, but we don't have studies. I don't think the studies are that clear. Yeah. yeah. I think the I don't think the studies so much show that, but I think it's become the standard of care and that's very difficult to get around. I think, you know, if you read, uh, the big fat surprise and you read the studies, I don't think, um, I think the studies for statin drugs, honestly, are only show efficacy in men that have had one heart attack. Um, yes. I don't think they're, they're not the, good for like older women. They don't show really any benefit. Um, no. And what I mean but, is it's, it's, it's more, they have studies that uh, point towards that, you know, fat is bad for you. Bad. Uh, and those studies are, you know, very flawed in nature. And don't really mm. prove anything, really, I think. Um, but, you know, doctors need a study the complete other way around as well. If they have like a billion dollar uh, randomized control study that says, you know, it's fine to have a high LDL, then maybe they would say, well, okay, then you don't get a, a statin. But that's never going to happen, of course. Yeah. Because, no, nobody's gonna because there's that. no profit motive to take people yeah. off the statins, you know. But so your best bet is prevention to, um, to do your strength training, a little bit of cardio movement and eat well, and then you're much less likely to get the sicknesses that are going to take you to the doctor, you know? Yeah, definitely.
And so yeah. you're also uh, the host of the Off of the Couch podcast. Can you tell me uh, yeah, how that came about? So why did you start that podcast? What is it about? And where is it going? Well, that's a good question. I'm not 100% sure, but it did start because I had done the health coaching curriculum. I thought I was going to take my business online and I thought it would be a good way to kind of start that process of um, becoming an online, more of an online brand. And I thought, you know, people will listen to my podcast and then they'll want to consult with me. And so I just kind of jumped in and started it. And I, um, I did it almost every week for the last year. So it's just wow. a year old. I, I got an episode out almost every week. I skipped a couple of weeks during different holidays or, or traveling, but, um, I think I had 48 episodes out perhaps in the last year or so. And I just, you know, um, you just start asking people if they want to be on it and they say yes and you roll forward, you know, and, um, yeah. and I had some very interesting interviews, probably my favorite, and I shouldn't say I have a favorite, but I interviewed a young man that had skied across Canada and he wrote a book called This Land of Snow. And that was really fun. Um hearing about his adventure and then I interviewed quite a few primal health coaches because they volunteered and and I thought that would give me good practice and then I was able to um interview these doctors that I just sent them an email and told them what I was doing and asked if they wanted to be on my you know they were willing to be on my podcast and uh so the episode I just put out the kind of clip show for 2022 I took uh, four of the experts that I was really lucky enough to interview and put those facts together because that was really my um, biggest goal was to get the get a little bit more of a word out about strength training. There's so many women that just think they should eat a low calorie diet and they're getting Fitbits, they're doing steps, and they're not strength training. And you know. You can go to a gym. You can do it at home. Um, but I think the majority of people are not doing that, right? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah, do you definitely. think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so then they I, do uh, cardio yeah. and then they hope that they lose weight. With, they might do cardio or, yeah. yeah, or a lot of the women I see when I worked in human services are just counting their steps during the day. Mm. And steps are good. Steps are a good thing. It's, you know, being sedentary is worse, but they're not a progressively, they're not a progressive exercise to improve your health. You know, they, they are, it's, it's good to move and they're a good thing, but they're, they shouldn't be the only exercise program you have to, because you can just wander around during the day and get your steps, (laughs) but you're not getting any stronger. You're still going to lose muscle. You're getting some circulation. That's great but it's not enough to move you forward in your health, you know, and especially if you're eating, you know, and a lot of the, you know, women I worked with in human services, you know, they're stopping at Dunkin' Donuts and, (laughs) you know, fast food lunch and, uh, you know, the, the eating is kind of poor and the, 
a lot of sugary drinks and and then so getting your steps is just not really preventative enough and then they then they gain weight so they go to weight watchers and start the low calorie diet so yeah 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 and that's all not helping <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's too bad uh, but it's good you know through a medium like your podcast for instance to get the word out more uh and i think you know that's things like these yeah, sometimes just, you know, if somebody just hears a sentence, maybe it changes their lives. You know, it can just be one person. Yeah. And then it, it's a big success, right? Yes. You know, and that's what I figured. And I don't have, a uh, like our friend Casey, I don't have thousands and thousands of downloads every every time, but I have some. And then I got a, I think it's been heard in quite a few different countries. So that's yeah. interesting. I'm not sure how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful, so. isn't it? All right. Yeah. So maybe we can uh, sum up by, uh, you know, what are your top practical tips for people at home to start improving their health? Okay. Yeah. Well, it would be the trifecta. You really want to uh, look at your nutrition, eat real food, um, try try to eat like three healthy meals with getting enough protein to get your, um, so if you're an average size woman, about a hundred grams a day, uh, a man, maybe 150 grams a day. Um, begin a strength training program if you're not doing one. And, um, that could be added, you could go to a gym and, you know, I'm sure they'd be happy to give you an orientation. Um, show you how to either do a machine circuit or you can uh, use those elastic bands with the handles. You can do a, a full strength training workout with those or dumbbells or, or body weight. And there's um, really a variety of programs online, but the, the one that is most effective would be to uh, move each muscle group to close to muscle failure, at least once a week. Uh, a lot of people would benefit from twice a week. So um, there's just so many benefits from that that are more than uh, weight loss and strengthening. It's, it's good for your immune system. It's good for like anti-aging effects. It's good for preventing dementia. Um, all kinds of health benefits come out of strength training. And, and then for cardio, um, I mean, steps are good. Taking movement breaks, if you're, if you have to be sedentary is good, but it's also, I think, good to do some kind of, um, cardio exercise at least a few times a week. And that could just be taking walks. Walks are great. Or if you have something you like, something you like to do when you were a child, maybe you loved bike riding or roller skating or, um, you know, maybe go back and look at what you really enjoyed when you were younger and just yeah. come up with a plan. Okay. So awesome. that's like the trifecta. Yeah. Okay. So and then of course everybody home. says yeah. you also, you also have to get enough sleep, but that's kind of, um, <laughs> a whole nother subject. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So those are very good uh, tips for people to do. Start doing. All right. This has yeah. been a blast. Thank you very much for, for being on the show. Oh, thank and for you, Barry. Having a nice, leisurely chat with me. Thank you very much. It was fun. 
Thanks again for listening to the Off of the Couch podcast. Take a small step. Talk to you soon.